On this episode of Scammer Stories... My wife portrayed herself, and I thought she was richer than I was. A college professor named Scientist of the Year by Harvard goes through hell. You might think these should all be alarm bells, but several years later, I view the reason for it as this. Perhaps it was part of her training. He eventually marries the woman that he now suspects is a member of the Russian mafia. She said, uh, give me the money, give me the money, give me the money. She kept repeating it. That was alarming to me because it was so crazy. My name is April, and a scumbag scammer took $200,000 from my mother. This week, in part one of this episode, we hear from a male victim, and later how he's been treated after becoming a victim and what he'd like to see happen. Here's Dr. Jonathan Farley's story. You've got quite the background. A medal from Harvard? Yes, I um, was named Scientist of the Year by the Harvard Foundation, and this was back in 2004. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so tell me what was going on in your life when this all started. I don't really know how far to go back. I can go back to when I met her. Okay. In 2013, I was in Omsk in Siberia, in Russia, and I uh, was using one of those mail-order bride services called Elena's Models. I uh, had done some research. This was the most reputable one. I, I recall seeing its name in, in a couple different places. And so I wrote, there were about eight or nine women from that city, Omsk, Alona Dauksher replied, and I met her in a local cafe, uh, although even getting to that point was kind of strange because she was giving me these strange directions, which caused me to circle around, and eventually I realized she wanted to meet in this cafe. This is relevant later because it's, it's what contributed to my being duped. But uh, we met in the cafe. To be perfectly honest, the conversation was not particularly interesting. It was years later that I realized why. But uh, we met and continued to correspond. I had read a couple of books on how one proceeds, and so I, I asked her literally hundreds of questions about what she was looking for and you know things like how many children do you want to have. And uh, not all the answers that I received were answers that you would think someone who wanted to trick a man would give, and so it made her seem genuine. Can you think of one? Well, I uh, was interested in a traditional marriage, so I said my view is that the man is the head of the household, and she didn't agree to that part, <laughs> but I thought someone who just wanted to rope a man would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever you say, and she didn't. So that was an, an instance that I thought, okay, yeah, she really is uh, a genuine person looking to get married. Uh, and then after a few months, I got an email from her saying, do I want to meet her? Or do I want to meet her parents and her in Turkey? I happened to be in the Czech Republic, so I wasn't that far away. And so I decided I will go and, uh, and meet her and her parents. I eventually did meet these people. They had an apartment, and it was a very posh apartment. So I got the impression that, that she was richer than I was. I'm not that rich, but um, I mean, I'm spiritually rich, <laughs> but materially, uh, not so much. And um, at least not yet. It's not what many people would expect. 
But in reality, uh, my wife portrayed herself, and I thought she was richer than I was. So maybe she was buying me, if, any, if, that's, if that's how it works. What were her parents like then? Did you sit down and have a conversation with them, or could they speak English very well, or how did that work? They could not speak English very well. So they were very different in personality. My wife, we got married actually three years after this point, but I'll call her my wife um, since she is now. But my wife was very reticent, uh, hardly spoke, and uh, the person who claimed to be her mother was vivacious, so very different. But um, they didn't know very much English. I don't think the father knew any, so I couldn't actually have a conversation with them. Uh, What I actually thought was odd was that they were so friendly. I mean, I was pleased that they were friendly, but uh, my wife at the time, or so she said, was 20. I was 42. I would think that even in a traditional society that the parents, especially the father, might not be so excited to have uh, his 20-year-old daughter married off to a 43-year-old man. But I wasn't going to complain that they were friendly. It's good that they were friendly. But in retrospect, this was a sign, and I view it as evidence that they weren't, in fact, her parents and that this was all part of the scam. This is all my theory. I haven't been able to prove any of this, Uh, that the apartment was probably rented precisely to give this impression that they were not in need of money and therefore couldn't possibly be trying to scam me. But uh, we had many outings in Alanya, horseback riding, uh, parasailing, and... uh, you know, went to a, a local place like SeaWorld, but we hardly spoke. We would go, she would put on her headphones, and you might think these should all be alarm bells. But several years later, I view the reason for it as this. Perhaps it was part of her training to not have an extended conversation. You know, that's why conversations with her were always so difficult, like, almost like pulling teeth, because uh, she knew not to reveal too much. You said her personality was kind of introverted, and you think that was by design. Yes. I thought that that was just how she was because I had actually had a girlfriend who was American uh, in 2006 who hardly spoke, and conversations with that girlfriend were like pulling teeth. And so I knew it's possible that someone could just not talk. You know, I thought things would improve in time, um, although they never did. But I don't think she's really like that. Because when after we got married, I would hear her on the phone speaking in Russian, and she would be animated, smiling, laughing. Even the day I took her to the airport the last time, obviously now I know that she thought she had gotten away with it, and she was on the phone laughing, which I thought was a little weird. <laughs> but I found out a few hours later why. You guys moved over here then? Well, that was 2013, and then I met up with her again in... 2014, uh, obviously to spend more time, and I was still somewhat unsure about her, but then I decided simply to apply for the fiancé visa. Now, in my mind, I wasn't thinking that that was a marriage proposal. It was applying for the fiancé visa because I didn't want to keep her, a young girl, in limbo for years. Eventually, I, I began to think, yes, this is someone that I that I could marry. The first application actually didn't go anywhere because there was some problem with it. Then in October 2014, a year and a half after I met her, 
she gave me an ultimatum through her father that her father said he, he she couldn't see me again unless uh, there was some kind of change. I told her that I had already submitted the documents. And so in 2016, over three years after I met her, she came to the United States. And uh, a few weeks after that, we got married. When she came to the United States, for the first two days, it was like the way it was when I had visited her abroad and we'd gone on trips you know, to Paris, Amsterdam, Venice, Rome, and, and so forth. You know, we were in separate hotel rooms, but we went on these trips. When she came to the United States, at first it was like before the first two days because I live in Baltimore, and we were in the Washington, D.C. area, so we were seeing sites in Washington, D.C. But then I took her to my apartment, and she acted like it was too small, even though I had shown her photographs and I'd even shown her a um, a floor plan. So she should have known how big it was. So she didn't like it and was sleeping on the sofa. What also was telling was the language that she used, uh, and this was three days after she arrived uh, in the United States or thereabouts. She said, uh, I was just um, thinking about myself. So she was saying I was somehow selfish if I kept her in my apartment. And uh, so she stayed on the sofa. I thought that was fine because I figured maybe she didn't feel comfortable since we were not married yet. But after we got married, she continued to stay on a sofa. <laughs> and that was after I'd gotten a, another apartment for her. So I was moving rapidly, but I see now that I was operated on very adroitly because Two weeks after she arrived, I'd already gotten a second apartment, and I got a third apartment as well. So there was a, uh, I had my apartment, and then a temporary apartment that I got her, and then another permanent apartment. So at one point, I had three apartments. And that's not a cheap uh, part of the country to live in. No, <laughs> no it's, it's not, because one of the apartments was near Baltimore's Inner Harbor, which is the nicest part of Baltimore. So I was doing all of that for her, but what I do remember was that she became rude. So before this point, she had never been rude. And to me, that was paramount. Having fantastic conversations would have been good, but I didn't want to have fantastic conversations if they also came with arguments. Uh, whereas having dull conversations, but no arguments to me, that was much better. And, uh, but after we got married, uh, she started to be rude. So, for example, on one occasion, I was in New York City. There was some public television series about science, and, uh, you know, they were looking for hosts or something like that. So I decided to try out for it. So we were in New York City for that, and then we were going around New York. And some people were on the street near the Rockefeller Center. I think they were wearing MIT or Harvard sweatshirts, so I decided to chat with them. Uh, later because they, they got my name, I got a very positive email from uh, one of them. And so I mentioned it or perhaps showed it to my wife, and then her response was to mock me and to sort of do a mock bow as if I wanted to be worshipped. But she kept doing stuff like this and ramping it up more and more, uh, and also her spending was absolutely outrageous. This, I thought, would stop you know, because of the exchange rate I know that when you go to a foreign country, you don't really understand what's expensive, right? Especially if you're not doing math. Um, <laughs> you might not realize that 
yes, this costs, you know, if, if um, like, for example, we, we went to Walmart and she bought a bunch of stuff for the new apartment and it, it came up to like over $400, which oh. I'd never spent at Walmart before. <laughs> yeah, so you're reacting appropriately. Um, and so it was up over $400, and, um, uh, but that was routine for what she would spend. Something, that, something that's 400 rubles it doesn't cost anything. $400 is a lot, but I thought, okay, she just doesn't know that yet. And I had read a book and articles that said that eventually the Russian brides do understand that they, they, they have to save money and things like that. But at first, uh, it's considered one of the worst sins on the part of a man to be stingy. And so the man just has to sort of sit and take it and not count pennies until the the woman of her own accord comes to understand that she has to um, adjust. You know, when we went to Bed Bath & Beyond, it was over $900. One day she said, our, our, our new apartment had a swimming pool, if I'm not mistaken, although I never used it. And so she said she needed a bathing suit. And even though she used the, plur the singular, she wound up buying a whole bunch of bathing suits. And the cost was over $500. Oh, boy. For all these bathing suits. I never saw her in those bathing suits. In fact, I actually barely touched her. I think the only time pretty much except once uh, that I touched her was when I was handing her bags that she had bought of stuff that she had bought. Maybe our fingertips would have accidentally touched. So... Um, I mean, so at one point I told her that she was just a roommate that I was paying for, <laughs> whose expenses I was I was covering. But after that store, uh, she wanted to go to the Apple store, and she wanted to buy an Apple Watch. And so at this point, I told her no. I said, um, you know, we can, every time we go to a store, we can't spend $500 or $900 or $1,000. And uh, then she stormed out of the Apple store. And so I told her, when I caught up to her, I said, thank you. I said, thanks for showing me that this is all about how much money I spend. And uh, so when we went to the supermarket, she would always spend well over $200, I think sometimes $300. And, uh, you know, for me, I might spend $80 on stuff every two weeks. Yeah, it was just um, the two of you. And, it's not like you had uh, – did you even have – animals you didn't have children you didn't have pets no no it was just the two of us and actually the stuff that she bought was almost all for herself this i had actually seen before because when i saw her in turkey in 2014 we were staying in the flat that she said was her parents in separate rooms and she um she wanted to stock up and we went to a supermarket and spent something like 500 Turkish liras, which would have been about over 200 U.S. dollars. So it was actually, um, it was like lifting weights to carry all the stuff back to the flat. But I thought, okay, fine, you know, maybe this is a test that maybe her parents told her to see if I have enough resources for their daughter. Um, incidentally, I also justified in my mind why her parents were so happy it's because I thought they knew that a girl like that needed to have someone take care of her. There may have been something wrong with her mentally, I justified. And so her parents knew that she had to be married off to some guy. And so this is how I justified everything in my mind, all the strange behavior. But later I realized there was a better explanation for her strange behavior.
So this happened during the summer. It was um, uh, pretty much of a nightmare. I know that on at least one occasion, I had a credit card bill of about $12,000. And I think I may have had that twice. You might think, surely you must remember whether you had a bill like that once or twice. And I actually don't. I mean, I could go back and check. But I actually don't because the summer was such a nightmare being with her. I continued to uh, adhere to my obligations. I thought I brought her over here. She is my wife. I still have to um, support her, and I was hoping um, things would change. You know, I was looking at videos online, like, you know, what do you do to improve things? You know, it, it just never happened. We went to my mother's house, which is where I go during the summers, for about five weeks. We stayed in separate rooms, and uh, she stayed in her room almost all the time. My mother didn't want to leave her in the house alone, so we, as a consequence, stayed in the house almost all the time. There may be two occasions when we left the house without her. Is that because your mother didn't trust her or she felt sorry for her? Actually, I think my mother thought we had to be good hosts. However, as it happens, my mother didn't trust her. And so I actually got into an argument with my mother <laughs> So uh, because I was so fooled by my wife. Uh, so one day our neighbors held a party for us. So my wife was talking with them. I was sitting somewhere else. Then the father came over and said something about um, Lithuania. And I was thinking, Lithuania? My wife is from Russia. <laughs> but um, I found out after she left that shortly after this, she had gotten Lithuanian citizenship. She never told me about that. And what was that but, about? Was that so she could maybe try and get Lithuania, a man there? I think it could be, and also maybe Lithuania is part of the EU. I'm not sure. It may be part of the European Union. None of what she said I, I can believe. I don't even know her name or real age. I mean, I saw a passport, but I don't know how sophisticated the Russian mafia is. So she left that party early, and after about an hour, I, you know, I thought, wait, why isn't she coming back? And so my, my mother and I go back to our house. And she claimed she had gotten sick and that she had uh, regurgitated some of the food. But my mother told me it seemed like um, this was all fake. My mother actually thought she might be like a James Bond or something, like a secret agent. And uh, so I was telling my mom, this is ridiculous and she's not lying or anything like that. But of course, she was. In retrospect, I know that she did this for the same reason that conversations with her were so difficult because... She didn't want to reveal information to the neighbors either, so she had to leave. And maybe when she was wandering around in the house, she stole stuff. I don't know. When I discovered that my wife was a thief, I emailed the neighbors and told them, did anything go missing? Because, you know, for about an hour, it would have been the case that my wife would have been wandering around their house possibly by herself. Even in the last couple of weeks, you know, she was demanding more and more money. She wanted $600 to go to a spa. And I thought, what spa costs $600? Now, I don't go to spas, but I, uh, I Googled. I found that in Beverly Hills, maybe a spa would cost $600, <laughs> but not in Baltimore. But I gave my wife the $600. I did give her a weekly allowance, which might sound small. I think I gave her $100 or $120 every week. But, you know, that when she was with me, I paid for everything. So. Yeah, you were spending way yeah. more than that. That's in uh, addition to what you were spending. And you're a mathematician. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In fact, um, the couple funny stories I can give you. 
So she liked to go to Baba Gump, a restaurant. And then about two weeks or maybe a week after she went away, I went there with some friends. I think there were six of us. And the bill for the six of us was less than the typical bill when I took my wife to the same restaurant. Okay, now how does that and, add up? What Was she drinking it, something really expensive or just ordering well, a lot of food? Did, she did drink a lot. She often wanted money for alcohol, and then a few days later she wanted more. So I suspect that maybe she was an alcoholic. I know I took her to a cafe which had music at a cabaret, and she drank a whole bottle of wine herself and was perfectly fine. This is like the second day she was in the U.S. with me. So uh, maybe she had a, a problem or maybe she thought she needed to get drunk in order to um, prepare herself for what she thought was the I- inevitable in order to complete her subterfuge. About two weeks before she went away, I, I took her skydiving. I didn't go. This was all for her. But then when she demanded even more money for a new coat. So this was about the middle of September in 2016. We'd gotten married on June 1st, 2016, when she demanded um, uh, $500 for a new coat. And so I said, um, you know, we need to have a budget of some kind. Is it possible that you could just ship over your coats from Siberia? I mean, uh, it sort of gets cold in Siberia, so I imagine they have good coats there. (laughs) And I knew from having traveled overseas so many times about how much it ought to cost to ship stuff. And something as light as clothes couldn't cost $500 to ship. And uh, so she started insulting me. And uh, this was actually her uh, mistake because when you get married to a foreigner on a K-1 fiancé visa, you're supposed to do something called the adjustment of status. And I didn't know what that meant. And my ignorance is actually what helped to save me. It turns out that that's the application for the green card, so your wife can become a permanent resident. The typical amount of time it takes is four months, but you're supposed to do it within 90 days of her arrival. But I thought it wasn't any big deal because I didn't know it was the green card. I thought it was just your telling the U.S. government that you did, in fact, marry the person you said you were going to marry. And so she kept pressuring me almost from the very beginning to apply for it. She kept saying, what about the document? That's how she always put it. And so I said there wasn't any urgency, and so I put it off. So it wasn't until August 2016 that I realized it was the green card. Uh, There was an immigration lawyer that she said a friend of her mother's had used. And so I hired them for about $3,000, and then they informed me that, yes, this was, in fact, the green card application. And that then took some time because there was stuff that they needed, like tax information and stuff like that, that was hard for me to compile And so it took even more time. But finally, it was done. We shipped off the files for the lawyer so that my wife could get the green card. And that was one of those days when she was incredibly insulting to me. I mean, she was she had been sleeping on the on the couch for a while, but she was incredibly insulting to me. And so I went to my laptop and emailed the uh, the law firm and said, don't send on the green card documents. She'd already revealed herself. But if she'd waited one more day to be as rude and as as insulting as she was, then it might have been too late. And that's probably what she was counting on. That was probably her mistake. She probably thought she was in the clear because we had mailed the documents. But what she didn't realize is that the documents went to the lawyer. They didn't go straight to the U.S. government. So I could still stop them 
The next morning, though, I sort of relented because I thought, you know what, it's the middle of September. It's about the time when the temperature changes in Baltimore. So it is getting kind of cool. So maybe she does need a winter coat. But when the morning came around, I think previously on one of the occasions after she had issued a barrage of insults, I had said, I'm going to leave or I might leave. And I think that may have also been what she was counting on, that even if things fell apart, that I would still get her the green card. I had told her the night before that I was going to move out. And then I think she wanted me to give her the money for the rent. She said she didn't trust that I would pay the rent, even though, of course, she was the one who wasn't trustworthy. But this may have also been the time when she asked me for $50,000, and then and then I wouldn't see her again, she said. I told her I don't have $50,000, and then she changed it to $20,000 maybe the next day. So then what happened? Well, with regard to the coat, I relented, and I told her, I'll um, take you to the mall to buy the coat. She never wanted to go out. She only wanted to go out when we were going to a store. And the few occasions when she said, let's go out, it would always be she would divert us to going to a store. She didn't want me to take her to the mall to buy the coat. She said she might want to go and have a coffee or something like that. And, and so I said, okay, that's fine. We can have a coffee. Or, hey, I can even just sit outside while you go into the store. But she didn't want any of that. She just wanted me to give her the money so she could go and ostensibly uh, get the coat. So I, I then told her, then you don't want the coat. She said, uh, give me the money, give me the money, give me the money. She kept repeating it. That was alarming to me because it was so crazy. And uh, that was the first time I realized she wasn't someone I could trust. Because I'd asked her, is it, is it sensible to berate someone who is giving you all this stuff? And are you going to stop at some point? And she said, maybe not. And so I um, got a new apartment, which happened to be my old apartment. <laughs> but this time I had to spend like $1,200 to get back the exact same apartment I had vacated. And then when I came back that evening to the new apartment, so now I had two apartments again, I uh, grabbed some of my stuff and packed up my car. And so she must have realized what I was doing and asked, are we, are, are we going to talk? And I said, yes, we'll talk. What saved me was that there's a Canadian website called A Voice for Men, and they said this is the sort of thing that you have to watch out for when you're getting a divorce because uh, the wife can make up all kinds of things these days. And so I knew I didn't want to be alone with her at this point. I was willing to have a conversation with her on the phone, but I didn't tell her that. I packed up my car, and she thought that I was going to converse with her after I'd packed up my car but I was just going to drive away. But as I drove away, she came down to the parking garage. Our apartment was high up, but the, um, she came down to the parking garage and ran out in front of my car. And she had a tablet, and it looked like she was reading from it. I couldn't tell if she was photographing me with it or reading from a script. First, she tried to pretend that I had tried to run her over, which is, of course, a crazy lie. She had run out in front of my car. Uh, and then um, she said, maybe you've heard of the Russian mafia. And she said that if anything happened to her, that I might wind up in the news, meaning obviously that, you know, I might be killed. So I thought, okay, she's just angry. Obviously, my wife couldn't have anything to do with the Russian mafia. Dr. Farley's story is far from over. He's still technically married to the woman, and he's been treated very poorly, just like some of you listening to this podcast have experienced but that's not the most disturbing part of the story, not by a long shot. 
coming up next week on Scammer Stories. How Dr. Farley believes he may have actually survived his death. And what he'd like to see happen with these types of scammers. Until next week, my scammer.